0: Some of the free shows this season include Izkali, Melvin Seals, War and Treaty, Sunny War, Charlie Tuna, and more. To RSVP for free shows and buy tickets, plus see the full concert schedule, go to levittdenver.org. That's levittdenver.org. Today on CityCast Denver. When I first heard that the music nonprofit Youth on Record bought the coolest, biggest local music festival in town... I was like, somebody is scheming and planning to do something big. My friend Jamie Duffy has run Youth On Record for over a decade. The music-centered nonprofit in Denver's La Alma Lincoln Park neighborhood connects musicians and students to talk about music history, create music together, and so much more. But now, Youth On Record is buying the Underground Music Showcase. This news was bananas to me because you don't just go buy a music festival that's barely breaking even, unless you have some big plans to do something wild with it. So I had to call up Jamie and get the inside scoop. Today is Thursday, March 31st, 2022. I'm Bree Davies and this is CityCast Denver.
1: I'm a little hoarse because right after we closed the UMS deal, Youth on Records team and Two Parts team the next morning got on a plane to Treeport Music Festival. But you know, y'all, it's been two years since I've been in venues for multiple days shouting (laughs) about how great the bands are.
0: (laughs) I know. You're like, oh, I used to do this all the time. (laughs) Jamie Duffy, welcome to CityCast Denver. Thanks for having me. So we've got to start with the big news, which is that your nonprofit Youth On Record just bought a
1: stake in the Underground Music Showcase. It, tell me about that. Yeah, I actually just posted something this morning about you know why on earth would Youth On Record buy a music festival? So everyone who works at Youth On Record, with the exception of myself and one other staff member, are musicians participating in the music industry. And the music industry is deeply problematic. Mm. Um, It is almost the exact kind of environment that we don't want our young people to enter into. It's certainly diverse, but in terms of true inclusion and equity, and we're talking about folks owning their own music, folks owning their own uh, creative process even, that's not available to them, truly, the way that it should be. Um, lots of toxicity there, lots of gatekeeping. And so as we were thinking about where we're sending our young people, we said we have to do better. So we started to examine the many ways that we could do better, and we started looking at music festivals. Um, how could music festivals be a tool for social good? How can music festivals change the music industry? Um, And of course, we started looking at home to our favorite music festival that we never miss and that is just beloved and that's the Underground Music Showcase. So part of the reason that we bought the festival as well is we didn't want to be a charitable partner. We've been a charitable partner. You know, we've gotten checks from the UMS and, and we're so grateful for that. But we wanted to be... A voice at the table. We wanted to have a leadership stake as well as a financial stake um, so that we could be supportive in the direction, in the future direction um, of the showcase, which I think is really appropriate because there's so many young people who we work with and we want to make sure that we can bring their voices and value to the table at UMS because they're the future of the UMS.
0: Yeah. And I I see that in concept like it's a it's a beautiful concept getting taking this organization that you run with young people and artists every day and putting it into working with this functioning festival. But I have to say I've run music festivals. Uh-huh. They're giant pain in the ass. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. And, you know, in two parts, the company that has owned and run UMS for the last few years has said openly that it struggled to break even even before the pandemic. So I, I'm so curious
1: why you wanted to take this on. You're speaking like our board members at first, right? So when I went to our board and said, uh, y'all, I think uh, I would like us to buy this music festival. The first question is like, Do music festivals make money? (laughs) And the answer is not really, um, for the most part, right? Some do, some don't. So we had to look at this from multiple angles. So what is a music festival if not a community resource? I mean, think about it. We're getting 10,000 people together over three days. What is the possibility to support them? Can there be mutual aid at festivals? Can there be mental wellness support at festivals? Can we have housing resources at festivals? As a community organizer myself, when I see ten thousand people anywhere, I go, oh my goodness, let's let's get them what they need, get the people what they need. And so, I, so under that container, um, all of the things that we can do: sober bars, um, artist development, artist training, artist coaching as a nonprofit, it makes sense for us that it's a program. Sure, and, and like you're saying, you've got 10,000 people in essentially
0: a captive audience, people that are showing up because they're interested in art. So what else can you offer them? How else can you connect them? What else can you do with the infrastructure of a music festival to train and support young people in our uh, the arts as an industry, like you know, lighting, sound, Uh, venue management, stage management. I I mean, artist liaisons, ticket takers. I mean, there's all levels of work within the music industry that has for a long time not been always accessible to everybody.
1: Absolutely. So, So this is my big bet. I could be wrong, and this could just end up being, you know, Jamie's folly, but I don't think it will be. What you just talked about is a career pipeline, and you just talked about a career pipeline for Colorado's fourth largest economic sector, which yes. is the creative economy, right? This is not small potatoes here, folks, in Colorado. The creative economy is robust. When I started as Executive Director of Youth on Record 12 years ago, our creative economy was the sixth largest, Six. And in my time, it's grown to the fourth largest industry in Colorado. So we have to build a career pipeline at home. We do not need to import talent for a creative economy if we build that. And so Youth on Record has started with the pipeline in the schools and with young people. We see UMS as the next step for building a robust pipeline. How can we get? internships, apprenticeships. And this brings me to the economics of it. As I was working on this deal, y'all, there's not a lot of information about music festivals. Like, typically, if you're going to buy a company, as I've learned, I mean, you're getting comparison quotes of, how much did this one sell for? What's this one valued? The music industry is known to be incredibly secretive. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not transparent. Hell no. And so anytime you can't find information, and Bree, you and I know this, but anytime you can't find information about something, that signals to me that there's gatekeeping happening. If you can't find information about something, it's because some folks don't want you to know because some folks don't want you in, right? But what I was able to find uh, through about eight months of research about music festivals, you know, when we're looking at festivals, the model of... Tickets, beer, corporate sponsorships isn't cut in the mustard. It's not, it's not enough to sustain what a music festival can be, which is a community resource, right? We need more diverse pools of funding. So this brings me to the funding. As a nonprofit leader, if we are mission-aligned, philanthropy and government should come to the table because they should see that the music festival is actually a container for community and artist care. And containers for community care and resources for community care are funded by philanthropy and the government, right? And so government should be coming to the table going, dang, what an innovative way to do that. How can we get in? And we've already seen the city do that. I mean, Denver's Office of Economic Development built our recording studio. At Youth on Record, this is the next place they can go. Hey, now let us fund the people to learn the jobs.
0: This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade wine, are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing, but from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So something I want to ask you about is this. When you talked to Kyle Harris at Denver, you mentioned that you had this big idea, which is this long game strategy in buying the music festival, is to create a musician's
1: middle class in the United States. What is What did you mean by a musician's middle class? So the idea is that in the United States, the average musician makes less than $22,000 a year. Mm-hmm. That means that the average musician is below the federal poverty line. And then the rest of them, for the most part, are in the upper class, right? Where is that middle? And so so part of what we're looking at is how do you build a middle class? What support needs to be there, right? Middle class economies aren't just built from uh, bootstrapping, ground up innovation, right? Sure, innovation, entrepreneurship, That's all part of it. By the way, musicians are entrepreneurs. They're small business owners. But middle class economies are built with supportive safety nets around them, right? They have to have career training. They have to have career advancement opportunities. There has to be a pathway, you know, I'm not a musician, Brie, and every time I hear people in the music industry, it's everyone. It's like, how did you get in the industry? They're like, oh, I fell into it. <laughs> fell into it. Nobody, we don't. That's why we don't have a middle class like of musicians. You can't have an entire industry that fell into their career, right? Right. So that's not to say. So people will listen to this and go, well, wait a second. Like, we have music schools. My friends who went to music schools have told me, universities, they are wholly unprepared for the music industry, right? Yeah. Education has to be a part of a musician middle class. Um, Career pathways and pipelines have to be part of a musician middle class. Um, Access to opportunity, skill shares, knowledge, and then just the understanding of the fact that it is a career. Yes. I I think we've been talked about
0: as artists for so long that this is like your passion. You should
1: have, don't quit your day job. Like, why can't this be my day job? We have to have an understanding of what a career path is for an artist. And I think so often, especially early phase musicians, but even musicians at all phases, we have this idea that there's one marker of success and that's fame. Right. (laughs) And what does that even mean? That's insanity. That's, it's like, it's, it's insane that we have a creative industries that tells us that the marker of success is fame. Um, if I was as a, let's say as a, you know, community organizer, nonprofit leader, um, you know, all, all the things that I'm into, if my marker of success was to be a famous ED executive director, like, what are we talking about? That's insanity. Like, that is that is a very weird thing to strive for. So this brings us to what we're gonna bring into the festival, which is called Impact Days. And for the past 18 months, we've been working with musicians throughout the US and historically underrepresented musicians, which we consider BIPOC musicians, musicians with disabilities, uh, LGBTQ musicians and women to help us better understand what skills and development do they need to build thriving careers. Now we are translating that into two days of free professional development, coaching, and networking opportunities that we're calling impact days. This will take place two days before the festival. You can come and get skills and careers and coaching and network for your career. So what else do you have planned for the audience side of it too? What's What would be
0: different when I, when I wander through the gates this year?
1: Yeah. Um, so we don't want to make a ton of changes because, especially year one, because we love UMS, right? Um, UMS doesn't need to be saved. It doesn't need to be radically overhauled. But a a couple things you'll see. Well, as an artist, we are increasing artist wages to what we're calling thriving wages. So part of your tickets when you're... First thing you'll see, I'm going to go buy my tickets to UMS. You've got two things you can do there. You can donate to Youth on Record, which is amazing because we got to get the next generation on those stages. And then your fees um, are paying for thriving artist wages. So All solo artists uh, will get a guarantee of $200 and bands will get a guarantee of $400, right? That's the guarantee. Nobody's making less than that. So that's one thing you can do. You're part of making that happen. Um, The other thing that you're going to see is, of course, the sober bars. And then we're super excited about our impact show. So we're going to have resources around an issue that impacts all of us. And we want to galvanize our ticket holders, Um, and our artists around this collective issue of mental wellness. So next month, we're going to be announcing our impact artist, our impact show, the folks who are going to be you know, on stage, on the main stage, really talking about mental wellness. You're going to see mental wellness support and resources around for you uh, so that you can come and walk away with maybe access to a therapist. Um, definitely going to be focusing on access to mental wellness for BIPOC community. So you're going to walk away with, with a bunch of resources to, again, Again, lift you, lift you up and support you as you leave the fest. Jamie Duffy, thank you so much. I, well, thank you. You're the person in the world I want to talk to you the most about this.
0: <laughs> and here's what else is happening in Denver today. If you live in Denver proper, you might have a new city council district in 2023. Denverite reports that on Tuesday, Denver City Council voted 12 to 1 to approve a newly redrawn map of the city that shifted neighborhoods like Valverde, Union Station, and Cherry Creek into new districts. While it doesn't seem like a big deal now, next year's City Council races could get juicy. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell a friend about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter where today, Peyton writes about the modern coffee break and its Colorado origins. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. Stay tuned because you know we're gonna be talking about it. We love to talk about city council.